we get ready to welcome Pastor Derek Dillon up to the platform. Check out this video as he makes his way up. It can't find me. Doesn't even know where to look. And it dawned on me. Fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is near insanity, Qatar. Now do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. We are all telling ourselves a story. And that day, mom changed. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, if you can uh, turn to Romans 8, 15. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about fear. Um, today's message is the root. You know, I prayed on this a few months ago as we were preparing for Pastor Joe's sabbatical and kind of was lining out the, the month of July. And, um, you know, I was up the back first and, and, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to speak on? What, what do your, you want your people to hear? And uh, it was clear as day. He said the root. It's like, OK, the root of what? <laughs> of what? And and. and um, as the weeks went on by, went on by, things just kept popping up about fear, about anxiety, about worry, about depression. All those things that associated with fear kept popping up. Videos, um, this movie here, which is pretty old, I, I love the movie, but it, was, it, it's, it, it talks about overcoming your fear. Um, Webster describes fear uh, as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. September 11, 2001, something very catastrophic happened uh, to our nation, to our country, as we uh, now call it 9-11. Uh, most people here that are uh, over the age of 30 can remember it very, very vividly. I remember what I was doing, where I was going, what I was doing at that time, who I was with when I first heard the news about September 11th. Uh, I was on my way to my mother-in-law's house with my mom, uh, with my, my mom, my wife, and um, we were driving. I got a phone call. Uh, at this time, I was a support engineer, so I worked from home. I just traveled for a living. But I, I was on my way uh, to my mother-in-law's house, and I got a call from our home office in South Carolina, and it said, uh, do you see what's going on? You need to get to a television. You need to get somewhere to get some news to see what's happening today. So we hurried up and got to my mother-in-law's house, and uh, she was already watching the TV. We got there just in time to see that second plane fly into the World Trade Center. The organization, the Muslim group, the extreme Muslim group that was behind this whole thing, they orchestrated a, a plan that was almost perfect. 
They accomplished almost as much as they wanted to in, in, in that process on September 11th. Here now we are 18 years removed from that situation and we still see every year in September, we will remember. We will remember. What we will remember for the most part is the fear that was brought upon this nation. The fear that they were able to cause as a terrorist group, which is what they are, are designed to do is cause worldwide mass fear. September 11, 18 years later, we are still talking about we will remember. It is something that we will not forget in our lifetime. It had that much of an impact here in East Texas. And at that time, I was in Illinois when everything that happened on the East Coast affected us from coast to coast. Their design was to cause fear. Again, my job was for traveling. My job, I, everything I did was on an airplane, flying to different destinations across the country and across the world. So it affected how I did my job from day to day. I knew at that point that when I went to the airport, things were going to be different. Everybody was a suspect in my eyes when I got to that airport. If you wasn't speaking in tongues on that plane, you were getting watched. <laughs> Everybody was a suspect to me when I flew because there was fear that was associated now because my life was involved. My life has something to do with it and it could happen to you, it could happen to me, it could happen to anybody in this room. 9-11 even has a point of affecting us today where we can't even leave a backpack on accident in a public place because of fear. Because of fear. Fear does not care what color you are. It does not care what social background you have. It does not care if you are rich or poor. It does not care if you are eating, uh, you know, five course meals every night or you're eating out of a garbage. It does not care. Fear does not play fair with us. Fear is out to control your life. Fear is out to dictate what you are going to do from day to day. Fear does not play nice. Romans 8.15 says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We do not receive the spirit of slavery. Slavery is bondage. Fear doesn't care about how pretty you are. Fear wants to control your life in every area. Fear itself will put you in chains. Thank God today, for the most part in normal people's lives, we don't sit and get uh, locked up with chains and, and whatnot in our life uh, physically, but spiritually, most Christians are in bondage. Most Christians are in a spiritual cage because of fear. Fear would change Everything about your life. Everything. How you interact with people. 
How do you even answer the phone every day? Is this a bill collector? What happened? Is a family member okay? Fear will change your life. The children of Israel was in, in bondage uh, to Pharaoh for 400 years. Moses came and says, let my people go. Let my people go. Day and night he cried, let my people go. Let them go. Finally, when Pharaoh says, okay, I'm tired of hearing you, God, just go. The children of Israel were so happy. They, they were able to get all the stuff that they needed and just get, get going on their journey to the promised land. Until they got to the edge of the water of the Red Sea. And then fear was on a bunch of horses coming for them. All they see in front of them was a, 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 a barrier from keeping them going forward and fear coming from, from behind. Of course, we all know the story. God delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh. The children of Israel wandered the desert for 40 years because of bondage of the mind. They were slaves in their mind even though they were free physically. 400 years, they have learned that they can't speak their mind. 400 years, they have learned that they couldn't be who they are supposed to be. 400 years, they have uh, learned that they had to come and go when somebody said come and go. That was a generational curse that was brought down to the next generation at the time that they were free. They had to wander the desert for, 400, for 40 years to be able to become free and leave that mindset behind. Fear will cause bondage and captivity in your life. How many of us in this room here today are bound in the mind? Leviticus 26.13, God told Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. In this verse, God is saying you shouldn't be slaves. You are free. I, I have broken the bounds of your yoke was a reminder nine times in the book of Leviticus, the Lord reminded the people how he delivered them from Egypt. After 400 years, in captivity, slavery had become a mindset, a learned, generational way of life. Fear can do that. Fear traps us into a mindset of slavery that not only shackles our lives, but it passed down from generation to generation. Our youngest boy, for the longest, wouldn't go anywhere without lights on. Because that was where he grew up in. That's the, the, the environment that he had. That was the area, that was the, the, the thing that he was taught us to fear the dark. It says, the young ones held in captivity in Egypt learned from their elders, never lift your head, make eye contact, never uh, be yourself to speak your mind. Moses said, you guys are free. You're free. Why are you still living in bondage? Why is that holding you back? We sent you out to scout the promised land. Twelve went out, two came back with a good report. Ten came back 
with a report of fear. Because they had a mindset of bondage. They had a mindset that they were still slaves. They had a mindset that they couldn't accomplish what God said that they were going to be able to accomplish. Fear lets us be Christians inside of these four walls. Outside of these four walls, fear controls you. It's easy for us to walk across from this side to that side to witness on someone that God has laid on your heart. Then let me pray for you here in these four walls. But it takes uh, lots of courage from you and fear keeps you from walking down the aisle in Walmart to be able to do the same thing to that same person. Fear fear restricts you from being and doing all that God has called you to be. Fear is the root of anxiety and worry and depression. Fear is something that the enemy likes to use to keep our focus off of who we are. If you're scared to do something that you've never done before, how do you know you you can't do it? Getting up here, you know, every time we get up here and talk, and, and, and there, there's, a, there's a little nervous, nervousness. I'm not going to say it's anxiety. I, I don't. It's a little nervousness to get up here and talk. That's something that fear can, it wants to try to find a way in. Yeah. When you're up in the middle of the night by yourself in the room, when you're thinking about things that, that is going to happen the next day and losing sleep over it because fear is talking to you and telling you how things are not going to be okay, than what they are. Just last night, I woke up like, I gotta go speak in front of all these people. <laughs> Something I, I, I do a lot. I have been in conferences where I've trained 2,000 doctors. You never get over that point of feeling a little anxious. But when you are in that time, when you're in your room at night, when you are there by yourself in the dark and fear is constantly, constantly talking in your ear, letting you know what's going on, what's not going to happen. You shouldn't do this. You should be afraid of that. Things are not going to go right in your life. This, this went wrong one time, so it's going to go wrong again. Fear wants to be able to control you and be able to do that. But I thank God that Jesus can come in that room at night and say, hey, I have control over this. I have not given you the spirit of fear. I have not given you the spirit of fear. Fear don't play nice. Fear is nasty. Fear is nasty. So what would people say to you in your life when you find yourself you miss a Sunday at church? You miss two Sundays at church? Now you're eight Sundays out, never haven't been to church because life got in the way. That one morning you wake up and say, today I'm going to church. What does fear say? You ain't been there in two months. You don't need to go there. They're going to ask where you've been. People are going to look at you. Fear will cause you to be idle where you at because fear loves to be by himself. Fear loves to have you isolated. Fear loves to be able to be your only company. Fear will keep you from the place where God has called you to be to get equipped so someone can say, hey, I missed you the last eight weeks. I'm glad you're here. God has put you on my heart. I want to pray for you. Fear will build you up. 
Fear will stop you from being built up. The body will build you up. God wants to build you up. This is a place for build up. Fear will, will try to keep you for that. So what is the root? What is the root? What's the root of fear? What's the root of anxiety? What's the root of all those things that keep you up at night? As most of you know, about two years ago, we adopted three boys. At the time, 12, 10, and 8. So now you know what to pray for. <laughs> These boys have been in the foster care system for six years. Six years, all they knew was what the foster care system would. Some, a couple of the boys, that's all they had. That's their life. They don't remember being with mom and dad. God brought them into our life, and I, I would love to say that everything was rosy, peachy, and great. But it was a hard two years for us. Hard two years. You know, and we look at them and say, how come you can't love us the way that we love you? You know, my wife was on board when we were going through this process for, of getting certified to adopt the boys, and um, she was on board with three. I was on board with one. Um, so we were not seeing eye to eye at the time, and, 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 and she put Jesus on me, and now I see what she sees. So with that process, we started uh, looking at the pictures of the boys, reading about the boys, and getting to know them, uh, and, and, and fell in love with them. We knew that God had a plan for their life. We knew that God wanted to do something through us for them. We wanted to be that vessel and be able to grow our family that way. So as we got them, you know, it's like, we love you. We love you. There's nothing that we can't do more for you. We love you. But these boys, they, those are just words to them. They had been in the system for six years. Six years. Yeah, we heard, I love you before. Oh, we heard we're gonna, you're going to take care of us before. We heard all those things before, but we also heard the suitcase latches when it was time for us to go. So how can we trust that you're, what you say is going to be true for me? How can you, we trust that you say you love us, how do we trust that? My oldest boy, he um, first um, um, year, he, he ran away three times. That was his coping mechanism. When things got frustrated for him, when things didn't go right, he ran. The youngest boy, well, we're going to talk about him. That's the middle boy. <laughs> Lots of emotional abuse. Lots of emotional abuse. But God says, just be consistent with them. He said, Father, we let us love them like you love us. That's all we want. Let, us, let them know that we love them like you love us. For so many of us in this room, we have a jaded view of how God loves us because our earthly father was not maybe the best. Those things play into your life. Uh, and I want, we're going to point that out this morning because it, 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 there is a root behind having fear. And that root of fear is an orphan spirit. 
I tell you this story about my, my sons because I have firsthand experience and and seeing what the orphan spirit can do to your life. My oldest son would run, run and hide. That's that was his mo. Even his brother was like, oh, he does it all the time. He'll be back. That was the life that he had. He ran. But to be consistent and truly, truly show them the love of God in their life says, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The orphan spirit. The orphan spirit. Orphan spirit has been dwelling up on this earth for a long time. Long time. Lucifer, at the time when he was in heaven, as the angel of light. And he fell out of, uh, out of grace with God because of pride and was cast out of heaven. He had everything that he needed, but he wanted more. He wanted to be God himself. So when he was cast out of heaven, he became the first orphan of this earth. He became the first orphan. And that spirit has been on this earth from that time on. Isaiah 14, 12 through 19, it says, uh, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, or hell, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and withdrew it, cities, who did not let the prisoner go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you, you are cast out away from your graves. Like a loaf branch clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled a foot. He was the first orphan. He thought he had it all. Thought he had it all. Now I want to talk about Abraham. I have, Boo, if you want to come up here. I asked him to give me a hand on this. Abraham, God promised Abraham and Sarah says, we're going to give you a son. You are going to be the father of many nations. You know, of course, every, we know the story. Abraham, you know, says, I'm old. Sarah's like I'm advanced in years. <laughs> Having fear of even their age at the time. Fear of believing what God has said, what he's going to do. So what does Sarah do? She says, go ahead and have time with my slave, uh, slave here. And Abraham didn't object too much. I didn't see him objecting at all. But they ended up having a son called Ishmael. Ishmael was strong. Ishmael was good looking. Ishmael was a man after my own heart. Ishmael thought all his life, from the time he was born, the promises of God... It's on my, on my life. I am told that I'm going to be the father of nations. 
I'm going to get my dad's robe. You think I look good now if you see me with my robe? See me with my fine linen on. This time, Ishmael was trying to do everything he can to please his daddy Abraham. Because at the time, there was no one else, no one else that can stop him from becoming who God said that he was going to be. Then God's timing came around, and Isaac was born. Here's Ishmael, 16 years old. 16 years he has been told that you are going to be the heir. You are going to be my seed that is going to expand in this earth and be the man that God has called us all to be. Now his little brother came into the picture. Things changed for Ishmael. You got Abraham looking at his son, looking at both his sons, Sarah getting a little nervous and jealous about her slave. She says, I don't want him here. I need him to go. What does Abraham do? Son, I know I've been telling you for 16 years, but I'm going to have to take my robe. Not only am I going to have to take my robe, but you need to go. You need to go. Don't, don't, don't look at me like that. You got to go. <laughs> Ishmael now is an orphan. Ishmael has lost everything that he was working hard for. Ishmael has nothing. In his mind, he has nothing. He's on the other side of the country with nothing. He was old enough to know what was going on. I can see if Ishmael was an infant or one-year-old and don't remember much. He was 16 years old. He knew exactly what was going on. And he also knew that that was removed from him and taken away. You know, I started this, this, this uh, message off today talking about uh, the terrorist attacks on 9-11 and, and how it affected us, you know, and, and, and looking at, at, at uh, uh, Muhammad, who started the Muslim religion. Muhammad went through and traced his ancestry back to the beginning, and it traced back to Ishmael. Traced back to Ishmael. But what most people don't know is Muhammad became an orphan at the age of six years old. That orphan spirit has been going on for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, after generation to the point where we have 9-11 where they're flying into buildings to cause fear because of an orphan spirit. Look at Adam and Eve. I want you to understand what fear does in your life. Fear causes you to question who you are. It causes you to question what you are called to do. 
He told Eve, he said, did he really say? Did, did, did he really? No. Did he, did he really? You sure you're not supposed to eat that? Of course, we all know the story. Eve ate, ate and, and Adam ate. And what happened? They got kicked out of the, eat, got out of the Garden of Eden. Now they are orphans. That orphan spirit sits on their life. Not only does it sit on their life, but it sat on the offsprings of their life. When Cain uh, killed Abel, Cain was bringing an offering up to Abel and wasn't offering to God as well as Abel. And Cain, was, his offering was not accepted by God. There's rejection. There's rejection on Cain's part that drove him to kill his brother. And when God found out about that, he came, and this is in Genesis 4, he came and, and, and said, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me. What have you done? He said, because of what you've done, you're going to be a vagabond. You're going to be a fugitive. In other words, you're going to be an orphan. That orphan spirit runs rapid in the church today. That orphan spirit runs rapid in the world today. We have freedom ministry here, and as Pastor Joe had talked on it, which, by the way, I was sitting over there dealing with the orphan spirit. When Pastor Joe was hitting on fear last week, I'm like, what is he doing? That's my message. But as he was hitting on, on, on fear last week, it brought me back to when, when, when I went to freedom ministry. Here at the church, we have freedom ministry. We ha try to have our pastors go to freedom ministry once a quarter. You don't realize what you pick up. But for the first experience for me in freedom ministry, talking with Pastor Bonnie, and she, she really uh, was led by the Spirit of God, and she says, I really feel like God is saying what happened when you were six years old. No one knew what I was dealing with at six years old. My dad had, had lost his job, husband and wife, four kids, we lost everything when I was six years old, everything. And family turned their back on him. My dad was a loving father, never done anything to me except being a loving father. But because of the rejection that he was receiving at that time, I took a spirit of rejection on until I was 36 years old. Until the Lord revealed to me that orphan spirit that I carried around, I let that spirit control what I bought, how I lived, what I drove, Everything was based off of that root of that orphan spirit. I went through cars every six to eight months. I had to have the latest thing. I had to have the nicest shoes, the newest clothes, whatever it is, I had to have it. And I used that excuse, well, I grew up poor, so I'm just trying to reward myself. That orphan spirit will cause you to make decisions of your life before you even realize it that affects everything that you do. Everything that you do. I have, I, I, I took down 11 traits that I, I want to be able to share with you guys of, of an orphan spirit. And for me, a couple of them really hit home of stuff that I, I, I dealt with in my own life. And, 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 and when you go to freedom, God reveals some things to you. What becomes 
The result of that is you will now be able to recognize when you have an attack on your life and you will be able to respond to that attack. And notice I said respond, not react to the attack. You will respond to what the attack is because what freedom does, it unpeels a level of, uh, of that onion and you are free from that, but then there's another level because you're getting down to the root of what it actually is. I had it best described to me when you're dealing with freedom and you're dealing with, 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 with releasing all this stuff, the enemy likes to make you feel like he's shooting at you with a shotgun where buckshots are just spraying everywhere, but he has one bullet that is piercing the heart each and every time. You're focused on all the spread of the buckshots and missing the bullet that's hitting your heart. That is what we do for freedom that will open the doors and the eyes of you to be able to find those things, pull the root out, and move on and be free. That's what we do here at The Way. So number one, the orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealous. Those with an orphan spirit are constantly battling jealousy, insecurity, since security originates in the secure relationship with our parents. With an orphan spirit are so, oh, sorry, those with an orphan spirit are so insecure they have a hard time hearing a biological or spiritual father praise their siblings or co-laborers. And I want you to be able to kind of see a whole theme that there's a root of selfishness in it. It's all about me. All about me. You can't stand to see somebody else say, Get, uh, you did a good job. Well, I did a good job too. Why are they telling me? That could, could be an orphan spirit that you're dealing with. Number two, the orphan spirit is jealous of the success of others. Along these lines, going with number one, those with an orphan spirit are happy when their brother fought, fails because it makes them feel good about themselves. Have you been passed over of a job promotion? Have you not got a job that you know that you deserve or that you felt you deserve? How many of you have that response? They'll find out when they get in there. They should have hired me in the first place. I'll get it anyway, I'm just gonna wait for them to fail. That's an orphan spirit. That is an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit serves God to earn the Father's love. This one hit me hard. Those with an orphan spirit are constantly striving and trying to earn the Father's love through accomplishments in ministry or career. I chased the corporate ladder. I wanted to be at the top. I wanted to be the one that's been seen. I wanted to be the one that, that everybody looked up to. I wanted to be the one that had all the answers. I wanted to be the one that everybody recognizes. So no job was never good enough for me. If you know someone or you yourself uh, can't hold a job down because the next job is better, you may be dealing with an orphan spirit. You may be looking and trying to chase success because what comes with success is gratitude for you, for yourself. But it only lasts for a moment. The orphan spirit tries to medicate his deep eternal alienation through physical stimulation. 
Those with an orphan spirit are constantly trying to push down their sense of alienation, loneliness, and lack of self-worth through constantly working, going from one relationship to the next, physical gratification, and living a life of narcissism and self-indulgence. However, the more they indulge, the more addicted they become. The larger the hole in their heart becomes because only the love of the Father can feel the deep emotional need they have. My wife's uncle was at the house yesterday and would just kind of tell me, he's been here for a long time in Sulphur Springs, and he said, you know, we used to, we was talking about this message, you say, we used to have what they call the orphan train come through Sulphur Springs. The orphan train. What they would do is take a bunch of orphans from New York, Chicago, big cities, uh, and, and put them on a train and send them here to work. Now, granted, it was, it was because times were tough and uh, everybody in the family was working as, as well. The children in the house was working. They put them with families. They would all go out and work together. You know, so those people, that, those orphans that they brought down to be able to work, they ended up getting roots here in this area. They ended up being able to, to be a part of society. But I'm sure a lot of those people ended up searching for things in their life, ended up looking for stuff that they that they trying to fill a void into their life. I, and I believe that the mass epidemic that we have in this county could be attributed to people still trying to fill a void of something that's missing in their life that only God can fill. The orphan spirit is driven by the need for success. Many attempt to accomplish great things to satisfy the deep yearning in their hearts for their father's approval. The results in them being driven to success instead of being led by the spirit, even many leaders get their churches into huge debt to build huge buildings, driving the people around them because they are blinded by their own inat feelings of inadequacy. They think they can feel good about themselves with great accomplishments. You know, we, we call it these days of uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Are you buying a bigger house to keep up with somebody else because you want that status? Are you driving the most fanciest car because you're trying to keep up with that status? You might be dealing with the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit uses people as objects to fulfill their goals. Those with an orphan spirit tend to use people as objects to accomplish their goals. Whenever we objectify people, we manipulate them with words, threats, and anything necessary to have our way and control them. This was big for me. Manipulation is a form of witchcraft. Have you ever found yourself in a position that you knew someone could have something for you if you said the right words? Did you know that you can get something from someone if you were positioned in a certain place at a certain time? If your motive was to manipulate someone, if your motive was to trick someone into doing something that's going to give you the pleasure or give you the upper hand, that is a sign of manipulation. That is a sign of witchcraft. That is a sign that you may be having or you may be dealing with an orphan spirit in your life. You knew a promotion was coming up, you know, so you want to try to get in good with that right person that maybe had that decision. Always searching 
for the next big thing for your life, whether it's through people or not. The orphan spirit repels their children. Leaders of parents with an orphan spirit are constantly in turmoil, fighting and striving for their own way, which gives their spiritual children the sense that their leader is in competition with them instead of loving them. Are you fighting with your kids for mom and grandmom's approval? My mom ain't never did that for me, but why is she going to do that for them? Oh, they want to take them places now, and they, they never took me places. I find myself saying that same thing. Oh, if I look bad, I, I would get my head knocked off, but they can talk back to grandma now. Do you find yourself in competition with your own kids for affection for your life, for direction for your life? That's an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit has issues with anger and fits of rage. Those with an orphan spirit have issues with uncontrollable anger, fits of rage, and other forms of manipulation because they feel they must control others and their circumstances in order to fulfill their goals since they lack the trust necessary in their Heavenly Father to guide and control their future. Do you control what happens in your life and if it does not go your way, you find yourself angry? You find yourself to the point where you don't want to talk about I just can't deal with it right now. I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and isolate myself. I'm going to go for a walk because it didn't go your way. It didn't happen the way that you wanted it to happen. This is a big one here. The orphan spirit is always in competition with others. Those with an orphan spirit always trying to outdo others in their church family, business, or denomination because they receive their identity through being better than everyone else. Well, we got to have the biggest church in this area. We got to have the biggest house on our block. I got to have the newest shoes first. It baffles me. People will spend thousands of dollars for something because they want to be the first one to have it. You have a competition you may be dealing with an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit has a lack of self-esteem. We, we all have established that. The orphan spirit receives their primary identity through material possessions. Those with an orphan spirit can never have enough career success, material possessions, pleasure, illicit relationships to satisfy the hole in their heart related to their identity. Consequently, they are constantly striving to gain satisfaction through the use of various things or people in their lives. In many cases, and I say in many cases, not always the case, in many cases, even their form of dress, including an inordinate amount of tattoos, skin piercing, and hairdos can be their way, can be their way of trying to stand out as unique and a cry for attention due to the lack of self-esteem or fatherly affirmation. That's an orphan spirit. That's an orphan spirit. A lot of these, as I was going through, God was really dealing with me on a lot of the stuff that I was reading 
and, and studying on and, and, and I truly believe that in certain areas of our life, we all may deal with an orphan spirit. We all may have to come to the point to say, um, this is not where I need to be in this area. God, show me where it needs to be. So how do you deal with the orphan spirit? First John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. The only way to break the orphan spirit is for people to be filled with the sense of the Father's love. Do you truly know how much he loves you? You know, we all, we all hear it all the time, Jesus came on this earth to die for my sins, and I know he must have really loved me to send his son to do that. Do you really know, do you really grasp how much he loves you? How much he really loves you? He gave the world for you. The world. I know how I feel about my kids, and I know that I will lay my life down for them any chance I get if I knew it would save their life. He loves you more than that. He loves you. The orphan spirit is perhaps the greatest curse on the earth today. It will take spiritual parents with great spiritual debt and authority to break and reverse the curse to, that, to perpetrate a generational blessing. Only when a person is healed of fatherlessness through the love of God is the orphan spirit broken so they can begin the process entering into mature sonship. He wants you to know, not only, as, as, as Charles, uh, Pastor Charles spoke the other day, not only are you seated the right hand of God, but you're seated in Christ. You are joint heirs. Everything that's a benefit for us is through Jesus. He loves you. So everybody can stand. I have a prayer I want to go over with you guys that if anything that was said today that, that, that you want to, to be able to, 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 to pray about or be able to go a little bit deeper in. We have our altar team on the walls here. And if you need something more than that, please schedule or call the office for our Freedom Department. They are trained to be able to walk each and every one of you through an area of fear, an area of or the orphan spirit, and an area of worry, anxiety, they are here and called and trained to do just that for you. We want our people at TWBC to be free because if our people at TWBC is free, then we can be able to go out and free the world. We can change this four state region for the, for the kingdom of heaven. So if everybody close your eyes and, and, and lift your hands, I'm gonna have you repeat something after me. Says all these categories come under the fear, under fear when dealing with someone. Worry, unbelief, need to control, anxiety, isolation, apathy, drugs and alcohol. Behind every addiction is some sort of fear. Some sort of fear. 
So repeat after me. Father God, is there any fear in my life? Listen to him. Is there any fear in my life? Father God, where did this fear come from? Father God, who do I need to forgive? This is very important. You're not forgiving someone that they've done something bad to you. My father did nothing bad to me, but I had to release him of that rejection that he was receiving and forgave him for that, and I received freedom through that at that moment. Don't think that you have to have somebody do something to you to release them and forgive them for something. So I choose to forgive whatever it is that God showed you. You ain't got to say it out loud. I release these people from any harm done to me and I choose to no longer partner with fear. I hand to you, Father God, whatever that fear is, I hand these to you, Father God. Listen for them on this. What do you have for me in exchange? Let him talk to you. Because what he wants to do is take that fear out of your hand and give you what he wants to give you. All he has is good gifts for his people. All he has is good gifts for his people. He gave me love. He gave me freedom. Took rejection and put it in place, love and freedom. Habakkuk 3.19 says, The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for freedom of fear this morning in this house. I thank you for the authority that you have given us. I thank you for grace that you have poured about upon us. Lord, that we can step on the head of fear and put it in the ground where it belongs because it has no control over my life anymore. I am free. I am set free in the house. And God, thank you for delivering me. In the name of Jesus, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name.